Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. We're talking basketball tonight, so I'm joined by Chad Markulich. Chad, how you doing? Hello. Eric Gibson is here, and Eric is just jazzed up. Eric, how are you doing? I am ready for this. <laughs> and uh, Dan Smith is currently flying to Orlando, Florida right now. Um, yeah, so we decided that we were going to get out and get some people to replace him on this episode of the podcast. First up, owner of PennStateHoops.com and chief apologist for the Penn State basketball program, Tim Vidal. <laughs> Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Not too bad. And we also went out and got someone else who lives in the greater state college area, former boss over at Slam Magazine, and someone who also, like all of us, willingly watches Penn State basketball, Ryan Jones. Ryan, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot. What's going on, fellas? Uh, not much. So, we, we weren't going to podcast tonight. The, the plan was, with how long we had gone since our last episode, we we're kind of just going to sit back, we we're going to chill out, and we were going to wait until after Penn State ends its season against Iowa on Sunday. Then we we're going to come back, talk about how the regular season went, look at the Big Ten tournament a little bit. But then last night, Penn State and Ohio State played. Uh, Penn State lost 71-70. to uh, it, it wasn't especially fun. And this morning, Eric, uh, full of the wrath of the Lord, uh, decided it would be a good idea for all of us to come together and discuss Penn State basketball. So, Eric, I'm going to kind of roll the ball out here right now and let you talk about why we're here, what has you so upset, and what things you want to discuss on this episode of the pod. So the four is yours. Oh, excellent. Um, well, obviously the reason for this, you know, last night's game, Penn State lost to Ohio State um, on another late last second shot, last possession um, in another tightly contested game, which um, has kind of pushed a lot of people over the edge, at least people who comment about Penn State basketball on the Internet. But, um, you know, it pushed their record in close games, the one in six. And, you know, it Basically, just two or three weeks ago, they looked like they would have a great shot at um, making the NIT, getting the first round by, um, and this four-game losing streak has kind of ended those hopes. So, um, you know, it's an interesting time for Penn State basketball. You know, Chambers, sixth year, and um, here we are, and it looks like they're they're kind of struggling to the finish line here, um, unable to get over the hump. So. We just wanted to um, just kind of have some general discussions on how this season has gone, um, the future, the Big Ten, you know, really. And, and then obviously we will definitely address the concerns and the criticism of Pat Chambers and his job security going forward. Um, so, you know, for, honestly, it, the game last night for me, um, I don't know, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll hear what these guys have to say, but um, – you know, it was frustrating for me because I really thought Penn State was going to come out and win this game. Um, I thought that the matchup heading into it was going to be favorable. Um, I wasn't terribly surprised about the style of play. Ohio State recruits a lot of AAU guys. Penn State now ha recruits a lot of AAU guys. And neither Thad Mata or Pat Chambers have um, terribly structured offenses. So it was kind of more of an AAU-style game um, that Penn State's freshmen are, are highly accustomed to from their days on the Nike circuit. Um, so I, I really, I really like this matchup. Um, and then, you know, as the game went on, the first half came out, they didn't really play good defense. Um, and, and it looked like, um, they had a focus. I don't know how, what you guys think about this, but it seemed like Shep Gardner was given the green light from the go. And, um, a lot of that was probably influenced by a pen live article 
the day before, um, written by <laughs> one David Jones, um, who has yet to actually attend a press conference this year and was, wasn't even the one who asked these questions for his article. But um, he, he wrote a critical article about their three-point shooting, which anyone who's watched this team knows that that is not their strength. Um, and David's point was this team's never going to win until they get three-point shooting. Um, so, so they came out, and Chef Garner was definitely given the green light and um, had some mixed results. Um, but, but I was frustrated. I, I really thought the defense was going to come out and, and really thrive. And, and unfortunately, they didn't get that effort in the first half. Um, they gave up 40 points, um, which is kind of insane when you also remember that Ohio State had 11 first-half turnovers. Um, for them to still be able to score 40 points with that is um, not great defense. So Penn State got down early, came back, um, came out of the second half, Really had a strong opening five minutes, um, regained the lead, got some a little bit of comfortable room um, with like I, I can't remember how big their lead was. I want to say it was nine. Um, yep. And it looked like and it looked like we were gonna get the needed win that um, this team needs for for what we were hoping would be potential postseason that kind of thing. Um, and then it just kind of fell apart there um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, obviously the first setback was Peyton Banks not being available. He was sick. Um, you know, and as the season kind of has worn down here, the rotations have been getting shorter. So losing one of your seven-man rotation, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And then um, Josh Reeves got in foul trouble, as Josh Reeves has a tendency to do, considering how aggressive he plays. Um, so that became a factor, as did um, cramping uh, for Mike Watkins. Um, you know, we I wrote this week about how indispensable he has been to this team. Anyone who has watched this team um, can pretty much – deduce that pretty quickly. Um, Mike Watkins is a pretty special player for um, this program, someone that they've rarely had considering his size. Um, so when he's not on the floor, it's a different team. So, um, and they had a lot of things working against them. And, 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 and you know, Ohio State deserves some credit too in the second half about how um, down the stretch, Penn State kind of started settling for a lot of threes. Um, now, part of that was because they had some success early with it. Uh, part of that was also because Ohio State was really defending um, Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens um, very hard. They were clearly focused on keeping them out of the lane, hedging really hard on ball screens. Um, every, every time Lamar touched the ball in the second half, I feel like he was doubled. Um, and both of those players struggled with that sometimes. I know Lamar had four turnovers. Um, so it kind of reverted to what some folks love to call the chuck and duck offense, since they put up uh, 31 threes in the game. Um, and, and unfortunately, they didn't shoot well enough. So Penn State went through that lull there. They didn't score a lot of points. They lost the lead. Um, everything seemed to be crumbling down. And then we got to witness yet another incredible Tony Carr show at the end of the game, which he has proven that he can do this month. Um, really made some spectacular plays. Um, you know, the and one bucket to, that wasn't an actual and one because the foul wasn't called. Um, that was, I think, came at 45 seconds left. And then on the next possession, obviously, the the deep three from the corner. That was honestly one of the prettiest shots in Penn State basketball history, if you ask me. But unfortunately, it's not going to be remembered because of um, Jay Sean Tate's full court layup. So I, I realized I, I didn't really want to talk about the game, but I kind of just rambled about it just because, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, for my own sanity. Yeah, but, thanks um, for listening, everyone. It was a good episode. <laughs> yeah, that was that was me really just kind of the entire awful game right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, well, yeah. well done. Like, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, so that's where I'm coming from watching this game, um, and 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 then to immediately 
you know, hop on the internet and just see the meltdown um, from a game that was clearly a 50-50 game, um, could have gone any which way um, to immediately devolve into what what is pretty typical in our society today, especially in sports media, of just the hot takes of this coach needs fired, you know, this guy's terrible, this is, this is you know, just people just letting out their frustrations from watching their um, unpaid college athletes lose a basketball game has, um, has anyone ever followed up the phrase and then i hopped on the internet and had a good story to tell yeah that's true that's true i will say man i love the internet you know honestly, <laughs> we didn't have the internet we wouldn't be here right now so yes haters uh, uh, can get out of here so but. so let, let me present a question because i think eric brought up something that has kind of been this year so prominent and that's that I feel like in these close losses, you lose by one point to Ohio State, you lose by four points to Purdue, uh, two points to Rutgers, three overtimes in Indiana. Like just going back, you can see all of these losses where Penn State was really close. And it seems like, and, and Chad, I want you to be the one who takes this, for whatever reason, it is it's like hurting people more this year. And I think you can make the argument that that means that people are starting to care about the program and people are starting to see, hey, there is talent in this program. But I also think you can say, I I mean, that's just bandwagon people trying to hop on early. So I'm interested in your take on this. Like, Do you think that this season we've seen this happen more frequently and do you think that's a good or a bad thing for the program uh i mean the the close the close games it it definitely sucks to have your heart ripped out uh you know six times in the big 10 season it's 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 not fun it's not ideal you don't want to experience that kind of loss especially but um you know with regard to the i mean the fans like we you know the program just needs bandwagon fans because we don't have enough diehards so um, it's a good sign that more people, that more people care, I think, but, um, with regard to the close losses, um, and how it's perceived, um, you know, it, you see kind of a, the opposite situation with Maryland and how they've been so, uh, fortunate in close games, we'll say, um, and people, people will bring up the point, well, you know, they win these close games because they're such a good team, but in the same, in the same token, like you don't, you know, and that and that that's not usually like you know people don't believe that honestly like it, it's a stupid thing to say because you know if they're if they're a really good team they'd be winning these games by much more than you know one or two points every night so by the same token I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that Penn State is is a bad team or a worse team because they can't win these close games because you know if they were worse than they are they'd be losing these games by, you know, 10, 15 points instead of two or three points. So um, I'm not, this is a, a large tangent, but, you know, these close games, it's it's not a sign that, I, I mean, it is a sign that this team is, is progressing. They're getting better. It's just a matter of, um, you know, having, get getting to the point where these games aren't close and they're just, and they're pulling away instead of leaving it to a close game, you know? So I, I'm glad that you said that. And Tim, I'm going to go to you on this. And one thing that I'm going to try and do on this episode is I want to kind of play the devil's advocate and I want to present the arguments that are often used against Pat, uh, you know, for reasons why we have to get rid of Pat. We have to go out. We have to get somebody like Larry Brown or whoever the hell we're going to say. So <laughs> one argument is something that Chad 
brought up there that I find kind of interesting. And I'll start with Tim, then we'll go to Ryan, and we'll just kind of let it go around. And that's that for the past two, three, four, however many years, <coughs> excuse me, Pat keeps saying we're close. And it's been a thing that he keeps saying uh, after these tough losses, and for whatever reason, these tough losses still seem to exist. So if you are someone who believes this, you view this as an excuse. And Tim, why do you think, why should people be more patient when Pat is saying, we're close, we're close, and he has been saying this for years? You know, that uh, I think that the Pat's sort of, the, the take he has on a lot of this uh, kind of is related to, to a lot of other things. And he thinks we're close, but I think he tries to be a positive guy. I've, I've actually kind of admired that about him through the course of his career. Because um, certainly, you know, the teams prior to this one, if they were close, it's not clear what they were close to. There wasn't a whole lot of talent on those teams. Uh, I do think this year he's, he's, he's right, though. I mean, they are close, and I think that's one reason why it's so frustrating. Um like uh, last night, I thought was discouraging. Um, you know, the the earlier losses were heartbreaking, but to see Ohio State play the way it did, to be at home and not to be able to take that—I mean, that was a that was a tough shot. Um, I don't think you know anything though that's really going on this season um, should really speak to the big picture. And and I'm hoping, um, you know, there's a bunch of pen live type people and a bunch of people on the various internet sites, but there there are not a whole lot of people paying attention. My my big concern is the people that are paying attention. Um, you know, I'm hoping that they look a little deeper than than sort of the people on the internet. Uh, the trend the trends are good. I mean, uh, I'm not sure whether Pat is is a great game day coach or anything, but he he hasn't had any players. I mean, one of the things we've talked about with football, with you know, people understand football, so we use that as an example. You know, when we started getting more scholarships, all of a sudden Franklin looks like a genius. And um, uh, there's a lot to be said for, for what you can do when you've got competitive guys on the floor. And we do, but, but we're not, it's not like we, we signed uh, the third best recruiting class in the country. We signed an historically great class for Penn State that basically gets us competitive with the middle of the Big Ten and not right away. I think these guys have, been, have outperformed what the expectation should be. Some of that is probably due to the Big Ten being down. But but in terms of coming in and and performing, they've they've outperformed expectations, in my opinion. Um, so you know the, the the things with Pat, all the little things that people are talking about, don't add up to, in my opinion, what the big picture is, which is he's got guys who can play. Now we're in a sort of a flux here. We've got um, you know it appears there aren't any scholarships available next year. Um, so it's all. Um, there's nothing in the spring, if that's the case. And next year's the fall class is going to be here pretty fast. The kids sign before they see anybody hit the floor. So I do think there's probably some importance to finishing well, um, because that's another big class that, that's coming in. But, you know, the big picture is still good, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you know uh, speaking of recruiting classes or whatever, um, everyone's favorite darling in the college basketball world, um, Shaka Smart, uh, actually did sign the no, top five recruiting class. And I don't know if anyone's pulled up Texas this season, but they are 10 and 19 and four and 12 in the big 12. So um, I think that's really yeah, something a, that we sh- Eric, should there's a few of those. 
There's oh, a few the, of course. Of that's what, you know, that's yeah. what we're going to get into uh, is, is, well, is people, people need to understand kind of, you know, these, these recruit, like the freshman to senior progression, it, it absolutely exists in really all college sports. Um, you know, some people who, who just want these freshmen to show up um, and immediately be prepared for what, what is a pretty dramatic lifestyle change from um, just, I mean, obviously it's a lifestyle change for anybody who's gone to college, but um, in addition to the intense scrutiny that you get playing big time basketball and you, you know, the 40 hours a week you put into basketball, in addition to the 40 hours a week you put into your schoolwork, into addition to everything else that they, these guys have in their regimented schedules, uh, plus they're flying all over the country, which, you know, nowadays a lot of kids actually do that since they play AAU tournaments all over the country. So they're, they're used to the flights, but you know, it's a daily grind. So, um, you know, it's just, I, I don't really know kind of really what people expected out of this season. I, you know, you said that they outperformed expectations. I, I mean, I would say they've met my expectations. Um, you know, that I, I really trusted the, the talent level of these kids that were coming in and, and I'm not surprised that they are really head and shoulders above a lot of <laughs> recruits that this program has ever had. I mean, I don't, you guys are going to, I'll rely on your historical perspectives as far as how many freshmen, you know, in their first seasons have come in and, do, and done what Mike Watkins and Tony Carter and Lamar Stevens have done. I mean, we're talking about three guys with legitimate pro potential, um, all freshmen, all yeah. wearing the blue and white. That, that I mean, that, that, that alone no, to me just blows my mind. There's no comparison, I don't think. I, you know, the, I don't mean to jump, keep jumping in here, but to Chad's point about discouragement, I think one of the other things we're seeing with this season is that Tony and Lamar and Mike have gotten so much better since the beginning of the season, but that's coming kind of into conflict with, with the freshman wall. So we're seeing these kids getting so much better, yet I thought last night in the first half, they just, they, you know, they, they, they didn't come out flat. I just don't think they have as much in the tank anymore. So you watch that, you see the skill level and their confidence growing, but then they're leaving the free throw short, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's tough for these kids. And that speaks to that grind you're talking about. And right now they're not getting a lot of help. I mean, Chef Garner had a good, good game last night, but I mean, he, he and Peyton Banks and Josh Reeves too have been so inconsistent and, and just, you know, shooting every area of the game. Peyton Banks is not a, a good rebounder at this stage of his career. He's playing the three and the four. Um, Chef Garner is, is 35% from three. We thought he'd be, you know, a much better shooter moving off the ball with Tony Carr. Um, and Reeves is, is still finding his way on offense and still working through some fouling issues every game. So, um, you know, I think we all expected, you know, these freshmen to get a lot more support. So with, with them, you know, being what they are right now, I think it's pretty impressive and pretty um, encouraging to see that they're this good right away without with this little help, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to kill the upperclassmen too much. Um, I, I mean, I know what you're saying, and they definitely have had um, inconsistencies as well, which you you don't want to see out of your upperclassmen versus, you know, your true freshman going through the um, through its first season. But that's really kind of been a struggle, uh, or at least something that was a necessary process. You know, you know, Chambers always says process. This is part of that process was the transition from the upperclassmen to the freshmen and the freshmen becoming the leaders. Tony Carr was named captain how long ago? Like two or three weeks. And mm -hmm. ever since he's been named captain, all he's done is proven that, um, I mean, I, I, we, can, we, we can discuss where he ranks in the Big Ten right now as far as point guards. But I, I think he's the best freshman point guard. 
And um, other than Derek Walton and uh, probably uh, probably put uh, Nate Mason from Minnesota in there above them right now as far as how, how they're playing down the stretch, he's right there with those two guys. And, and those two guys are, you know, the hottest, you know, leading the hottest teams in the league. So, you know, I, I, it's, you know it, it's, been, it's been a weird year. You know, because, you know, you got these upperclassmen. They, they're the ones that, you know, they've been there before. They know the grind. They want to be the ones that lead. But then you got these freshmen coming behind them that just simply are more talented and can do more on the floor. Um, so, you know, that was just something that's always been a struggle, especially, you know, we talk about Shep's, you know, down season, if you will. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really flourished as much as we hoped he could. He didn't take a step forward this year, um, you know, switching roles. But, um, you know, that, that was just something that was going to be part of this process. And, and, you know, now that we're seeing the, the freshmen take the reins and be the leaders, um, I think we'll see the upperclassmen be able to play off of that better. Um, you know, and, and then we'll t- we can talk about next year, too, when they maybe fill out the rotation a little bit more in the front court with Pierce coming in um, and Butrick. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just like, you know, this is I don't know. Yeah, let's get Ryan in here. Yeah. Like well, him. I actually want to bring Ryan in here because I want to talk about uh, kind of the big, the, the single biggest criticism of Pat. And I think Ryan can provide some uh, some historical context to this because he's been a fan of the program for a while. And that is that in his six years, they've made one CBI. They've never sniffed the NIT. They've been kind of close to the NIT, but they, they've never They've made. sniffed the NIT. Let's be fair. Well, I, sir, they never sniffed the NCAA, and they came kind of close <laughs> to the NIT. Why, after six years, should that, along with the fact that his record – I mean, I don't think this is updated on uh, Wikipedia because Lord knows Wikipedia is not the – not not great for Penn State basketball information. Eighty five and what it says eighty five and one hundred three and twenty eight and seventy four in conference. I don't know if that's true or not, but those not, it, it's around there. Why should this be an okay standard for Penn State basketball? Well, oh man, how much time do we have? How much time do we have? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, last night we did a football podcast that went like an hour and fifteen minutes. So like, that's crazy. not nearly enough. Um, so there's a couple ways to look at it, right? I mean, you talk about the standard bill. The standard for Penn State basketball historically is what? We all know it's not very good. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, um, a lot of which are very relevant for, for this program still today and for Pat and his staff. Uh, the lack of a, of, a, of a close recruiting base of, of a lot of high-level talent uh, the facilities that have gotten much better on a lot of levels, but still most of the time on a game day or game night, it's, it's one of the quieter. And I, I asked, I used to ask NBA guys, uh, who played at other big 10 teams. I would ask them this all the time when I was at slam, what was the quietest gym you guys played in? And seven out of 10 would say Bryce Jordan center. Um, <laughs> truly, truly. Um, cause you know, even Northwestern again, small with like no history of success, at least it's a little band box. Like, you know, Penn State was generally the place where they had the least amount of, you know, t- they interacted with the, the least intimidating crowds, let's say. So there's that. Uh, there's the fact, of course, the football school thing, which is not to say you can't be good at basketball at a football school. It just means that fewer people care, including fewer people who would really kind of put the sort of pressure on that would force you to maybe do more, let's say. So for all those reasons, I've said for years and years and years, Bill, you've heard me say it. To me, Penn State is as tough. Uh, a major conference job as there is in the country, uh, period, because of, for all those reasons. 
So, and again, the lack of, of historical success. Penn State's never consistently been even very good at basketball, let, let alone great. Um, so for all that, yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at all those factors, then you look at when Pat started, right? What was, uh, Pat's first preseason game was the second, if I remember my date, right? The second Saturday in November, 2011. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Anyone, anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. 2011. Like this, that thing drops. Literally, as he's out on the court on a Saturday morning, getting out of whoever they were playing, Lock Haven or Slippery Rock or something, um, and that was that was the thing that was dropped on to his very first season was, you know, in a place where no one has generally cared all that much about basketball. Holy cow, was no one even thinking about basketball at that point? So, um, so you had that dropped on him right away, and you'd be crazy to think that that didn't affect recruiting, just as far as as you know what was in the air and what people were talking about with Penn State generally. Um, and the new coach and trying to come in and get established and, and to implement his way of doing things. So for all of that now, yeah, six years in, it'd be nice to think, oh, they would have progressed to some level. Obviously, they had a little bit of success with Tim, with DJ, as far as some memorable wins. Uh, you know, you, you get a guy now who's a third-year NBA guy who he coached, didn't initially recruit, but coached him and I think got the best out of him, had a lot of success with DJ. Um, you know, again, they've had some good wins, they've had some good stretches, but never been able to put it together yet. To me, I say, okay, you look at the talent they've had compared to the rest of the Big Ten in that period where the Big Ten's been, you know, a top two or three league in the country every year, and a couple of those years probably the best league in the country. Um, when have they had as much talent as, you know, 9, 10, 11 of the 12 teams in the league, right? Uh, probably never, maybe not until this year. Um, and, and so you add all that in and say, okay, well, why isn't he getting the talent? And you brought him in. Well, now finally he's gotten it. So – all of this is to say, like, is this the first year where you can really start to judge him based on what he can do? I think so. I think that's an entirely fair point of view. You may not like, uh, as a fan, you may not like the idea of giving somebody that long before you start to judge them. As a realist, though, I think it's the only way you can look at it. And then you say, okay, as we've been talking about, these kids are all freshmen, the most, by far, the most talented players on this basketball team, um, with the exception of Josh, as far as size, ability, quickness, athleticism, scoring ability, all of that, by far, it's the freshmen who have, you know, the majority of the ability on this team, uh, including Mike, obviously. And given that they're just kids, uh, and like I think Tim made the point a while back, you know, you're still, this doesn't put you ahead of the rest of the league on talent. It puts you, I, I'd argue, maybe a little bit above the middle of the pack based on where, where I think all these guys can pan out. But yeah, it doesn't put you in the top two or three. Like, they're where they should be this year, given the lack of depth, uh, given the injuries now, uh, given, you know, <laughs> given what they've got to work with at this point, this year never figured to be a great year. Could have been a little bit better. Obviously, if you get a couple of these close games, you're in the NIT. But it's, you know, Bill, Bill and I have talked about it a bit. I think Eric and I have talked about it. Like, it's great. You don't really understand basketball if you're really bothered by where this team is right now. You can be disappointed with certain results, certainly. You can be bummed out by all these close losses. But if you think that, boy, it just should be so much better by now, that they're just not on uh, on schedule for where they should be, I, I don't think you really understand how it works. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I, I want to bring Eric in because I feel like this is where Eric is really going to bring the thunder. Yeah, but just get out of the way. But, but I, also want, <laughs> I, I also want, like in addition, uh, with one other thing that Ryan said, with what the standard is at Penn State and how it's so low. 
One argument that I hear is that if Penn State wants to be good, why should we have the standard so low? Why shouldn't we raise the bar so that we're not accepting mediocrity? And now I'm going to get out of your way and let you go. I'm, <laughs> let me pull up the timer on my phone because I'm interested. No, in I mean, mistakes. Uh, well, I, well, first I, I wanted to um, I wanted to kind of piggyback off Alf Ryan's point about the recruiting. Um, you know, obviously 2011 had a big influence then, and you also got to consider just kind of the roster situation that he inherited. Um, when he got hired in June, which was three months after the typical coaching cycle in, in college basketball, um, you know, he inherited to Chelsea's team. And, and, you know, this goes back to like, you know, you, you got to have the experience to be able to compete. You know, DeCellis gets railed for supposedly leaving behind a completely empty cupboard. Um, well, he actually left behind Tim Frazier, who is an NBA. Um, Jermaine Marshall went and is playing professional um, overseas somewhere. And, um, and then he had his recruiting class coming in. And he also had um, Juwan Staten, who went to uh, – ended up – you know, he was, was going to be a transfer from, I believe, Dayton. And then he ended up at West Virginia and had a brilliant career there when he was at West Virginia. So there was talent in the pipeline. The problem was with, with DeCellis is that um, he couldn't recruit consistently enough where he would be able to have consecutive years. So they were definitely going to have a down year before DeCellis decided to go to Navy that season. But, you know, to think that they wouldn't have been able to, like, rebound the, the following year. And, like I said, it was – 2012 or 13 or whatever, um, you know, it's not far-fetched. I mean, there was talent there. Um, but the problem is with this program is that the only talent in the program is there because of the coach. They are not there because of the program. They are not there because of, you know, the Penn State basketball support. It's it, They are simply there because, one, they want to play Penn, Big Ten basketball, and two, they feel like they have a great opportunity for a great coach that they like at Penn State. Like I, so whenever there's going to be a coaching change for this program, you're resetting the roster, um, especially in today's today's age in the hyper competitive world of recruiting. Um, yeah, that is true. Know. Almost that's true. Almost everywhere. Almost everywhere. Yeah, exactly, like exactly. Now, unique. obviously, you know, the more prestigious programs are going to have more talent in the pipeline anyway, and, right. and you'll have a chance to re-recruit some of those guys and, and salvage you know, a, a talented roster and then be able to, you know, your first recruiting class can just come in and supplement that and you can compete right away. Um, so, so really for Chambers, if, if for people who actually paid attention to his recruiting, you know, 2011, it was his first season, you know, usually most new coaches get that, you know, if they get hired in March or April, they have the spring AAU evaluation period. They have the summer AAU evaluation period. You know, they have the program set up before AAU season, let alone, you know, Chambers in his first month when he was flying all over the country just to make sure he still had a team um you know so so a lot of chambers didn't get a you know he was already a year behind basically just due from the fact that when he was hired whatever um and then 2011 happened following summer sanctions came out and we all remember that you know that was the summer silas red transferred and penn state was dominating the espn headlines because of the sanctions um and oh by the way that was only the busiest recruiting or time for basketball with AAU season where high school kids are traveling all over the country to play four basketball games a day and then hang out in their hotel rooms and then watch ESPN rail on Penn State every day. So like their recruiting was just screwed from the start. But now, but you, you know, you really want to talk about it. Mike Watkins has been committed to this basketball program since 2013. So it was within Chambers first two years on the job, he landed the big man that clearly, I mean, I, I think we all agree, 
um, has a chance to really revolutionize the program just because they, they've never had a talent like that in Mike Watkins. Um, so unfortunately, we had to wait a very long time for Mike Watkins to, um, you know, see the floor. Obviously, he was a 2015 recruit, you know, ruled a partial academic or partial qualifier or whatever. We had to sit out last year. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, he was worth the wait. I, I love watching Mike Watkins play. Um, so really, if you've been following the recruiting, you, you understand why it's been six years. You know, everyone just throws it. Oh, it's been six years. Oh, it's been six years. And, 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 you know, it doesn't look good when, you know, he's like the only he's the longest tenured coach um, who hasn't made the NCAA tournament at a major job or whatever, whatever that stat is. Um, you know, I get that. You know, the, the very, you know, lackadaisical analysis is six years. You got to do something, blah, blah, blah. But you got to take into fact the context of, of how things kind of really transpired. So. Um, you know, and that's basically, you know, coaches have jobs that are evaluated by their athletic directors. I feel like on a year to year basis, I don't care if you have a 10 year contract, a five year contract, a three year contract. Today's college basketball, you are evaluated after each season and you can be terminated after each season. Who knows? Depending on your school, your athletic director, that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, Penn State had zero problems with Pat Chambers progress each year. Now, granted, it's been very slow. It has been incremental. Um, you know, they, they haven't reached where they want to go yet. You know, we, we all can, can understand that, but like, I, I, I don't know, just, you just take into the context, the way things have transpired, like they're, they're right on schedule. Like this is exactly where they're going to be. Um, you know, considering the, the recruits that they got in the 2015 class, the recruits are getting, they got in 2016. Um, and, and here we are, we're, we're just right there on the verge. And it's, it's frustrating to see people just want to just throw out the six years of, um, what's really been a re revolutionary, um, I don't know how, what you want to call it or whatever, but what they did recruiting in Philadelphia, like that was something that you guys, we've talked a thousand times, never happened before. Um, so it's just people just sit here and just say that they want to, you know, just bring in another coach. He can do the same job, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's going to be repercussions if they were to get rid of, uh, Pat Chambers specifically in the city of Philadelphia, um. He clearly has uh, a very loyal network um, of high school coaches, AAU coaches. He's ingrained in that basketball community. Um, and that basketball community is supporting this program. And obviously they're supporting the six Philadelphia players that are on the, uh, on the team, as we saw at the Palestra and that kind of thing. So it's like pulling the plug now, um, you know, I could see Philadelphia viewing that as you, you don't trust us. You don't like us. You don't. Um, whatever. And, and that door that has finally been opened after years and years and years could be shut just like that. And, and then the next coach coming in is going to have to recruit a new roster. Um, and if he can't recruit Philly, then, uh, you know, good luck. I don't know. You know, there's no natural recruiting territory for this program. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I want to get off my chest. Well, Eric, I mean, I, I think that's that's all true. I mean, I think the thing that Ryan said that sticks with me is, is the tradition piece in my view, you know, after watching this for like, whatever it is, it's 30 years or some terrible number like that. Um, the, uh, you know, these kids are, are slotting themselves into the traditional programs. And so, uh, you know, that's the biggest hurdle we have. I mean, it'd be great if we had a nicer arena and all those sorts of things, but I think we're, we're competitive on all those things where we're not competitive is, is if you've got an offer from Duke, uh, UCLA, Kentucky, and Penn State, um, you know, that you're just not going to go to Penn State. And I think the same is true for coaches. Uh, people have brought up now the fact 
that they're rich at the mid mid major level. So there's no like big money um, uh, sort incentive. of incentive to come here. And yeah. in fact, it's worse than that because if this is seen, which I believe it is by a lot of by the coaching community, is a place where your career goes to die, you're cutting off the um, the chance for big money. So so that's not going to happen. I think that's what people are unrealistic about as well. I think another thing that's going on right now is a simple reaction to these close games. And you can look at every close game and pick apart any number of things that went, you know, quote unquote wrong and decide that that was the coach. And I think that's pretty frequently what happens, not just at Penn State, but everywhere. And I think it's pretty clear that any game that's within one possession Luck is the is the biggest is the biggest factor, and so Penn State's you know one in five or one in six this year in one possessions, and you know if if that had changed if that was closer to fifty fifty we probably wouldn't be having this conversation we'd be looking at a first round buy and talking about how we sneak into the NIT. Yeah, I I like bringing up uh, like the actual in game coaching aspect of it and. Uh, Chad, th- I want this to be. I want you to talk about another concern. Teams, are, uh, to some people, teams are making the same mistakes that they've made since Pat first got here. Isn't that a reflection of his ability to coach a basketball team? Why is that not true? Um, is it? I don't know. It it, it it it's a player's game, you know. I I don't know if there's anything really that Pat's doing wrong. I mean, you can point to the fact that they don't have, you know, a, a reliable offense or an offensive system to lean on. But at the same time, like, do you want to put guys like Tony and Lamar and Mike Watkins in, in a structured offense where they where they can be less creative? So, um, you know, the in-game stuff really is is secondary to me as far as what Pat is as a coach. Um, I mean, first off, there's recruiting. It's just a matter of getting the players in the program. And then it's it's what they do, you know, during the week in practices where we can't see them. You know, what are they doing? How are they getting better? I mean, and you can see that, you know, these guys, these freshmen especially, are improving every every single week. I mean, Tony Carr has been unbelievable these last few weeks. He's been, you know, everything we hoped he would be and and then some. He's, he's an incredible late-game closer. He's, he's developing a great passer. He's, he's – you know he's able to get his own shot at the end of games, um, so I, I the the in game coach thing really just the whole concept of it is just so overrated to me. You know, like even on the last play last night, like what could they have done differently? What could have Pat? What could Pat have done differently to stop Jay Sean Tate? Um, I don't know if there's anything. I mean, Watkins was injured. He's dealing with the cramps all the game, um, and and. Tate's a really good player. Like he's a really tough player to stop. He's a he's a six four power four with ball skills. So, you know, back to just getting back to your question, I don't know that there's really much that's wrong with his in game coaching. You know, well, you know, the problem is there's a million things he could have done differently, and it's all right. hindsight bias. Mm-hmm. The uh, I'll tell you a story. You know, we you led off saying I was the chief apologist. I'm going to go back into deep into the apologetics. <laughs> so many, many years ago, decades ago at this point, I had noticed that Jerry Dunn's team one year or two years had won, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of close games. And I'm not a statistician, but I thought, well, that's interesting. I, what could say more about a guy's coaching ability than than what happens in the final minute? 
So I was ready to make this claim, and even though I don't know statistics, I thought, well, I better, I better look at this. So I started looking around at what the so, you know, the so-called great coaches had done in these in these close games, and it was shocking. They were all about fifty-fifty. So Coach K, um, you know, Dean Smith at the time, you know, all these guys that are, you know, the brilliant minds of college basketball were around fifty-fifty, and I thought. You know, I had this intuition. It's like, hey, maybe it's not coaching skill at that point, because these guys not only are, are supposed to be good coaches, they've had the better players. And I think what some of the data analysis has shown is that the, that it's luck in that last minute, and that the theory behind it is at that point, if you played forty minutes and you're within one, you're an even team on that night. That whether you have as much talent as the other team or not on that night, you're playing at an equal level. And so at that point, it's how the ball bounces. And the other thing to do in all these situations is you should put up the in-game threads of the opponents because it's hilarious. The, the, <laughs> the calls that are missed are the exact opposites of the ones that, that the Penn State fans are seeing missed. And, and if you just take last night, they, Ohio State got, they got screwed, for lack of a better word, on, uh, on the technical. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think Tate walked on that, on that um, play at the end. You didn't? I didn't. I, and yeah, I, was, I didn't either. So, I mean, so there's two right there. The other thing, uh, you know, Penn State shot 35% from, the, from three. They shot pretty well from two, which has been their biggest problem this year. They shot, you know, under 70% at the foul line. If they shoot their season average, that's three more points. And, you know, we're having a different conversation. So, uh, you know, if you go back to what Dave Jones raised the other day, I mean, clearly – Every team could use more three-point shooters. It's like saying, you know, this is like the Penn Live internet thread. Why don't we have a 6'10 center who can um, dunk the ball? Well, we, <laughs> we finally have someone close, but, but they don't grow on trees. Uh, so, the, but the thing, to, to, to Dave's point that I think does, that is a good argument, is that, um, you know, free throw shooting you can control. So that's something you ought to be trying to be good at. And three-point shooting is probably next. Because even if you're facing a so-called, you know, good defensive team against the three, you're going to get open looks at three, and and they make a they make a big difference. I mean, you can see what's happened to this team. It's the two-point shooting that's killing them. I mean, uh, you know, it'd be nice Preach. if we had more consistency from three, but but our two-point shooting is ranked like in the bottom hundred. It's I think three hundred and seventh <laughs> nationally. Yeah, and, and who's 50. <laughs> and who's the main reason for that? Tony and Lamar. I mean, it, and it's their freshman season. And, and you compare their freshman shooting percentages to pretty much all of this program's great players, Taylor Battle, Gary Claxton, um, you know, when, when Claxton was Big Ten freshman of the year. Like, they all shot the same. Like, yeah. freshmen don't just come in and, and catch fire. So, well, And you can see it changing over the course of the year as they get more experience and figure out what's going on. They're getting better. Uh, you know, this is... This is something else that Ryan brought up, but the, the youth here, uh, let's talk about Iowa because Iowa's actually younger than we are. Um, and, and Iowa, you know, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, they're only ranked 10 slots ahead. Uh, so they, but they have a lot better vibe going on because they have a winning record. They've had the, they had a big upset, I think, at Purdue or at home against Purdue. I forget where the game was. Mm -hmm. but, but they have, they may be younger by a few tenths of a point. But their go-to guy is a senior who's in the top 15% in offensive efficiency. So, so they've got these young guys, and the, but they're going to Peter Jock, and, that, and that's a huge difference. Our two, most, uh, our two most important offensive players are Lamar and Tony. 
Yep. And, and so we've got these two freshmen who have gotten a ton better, but there was a little bit of a learning curve. Um, you know, the, the other thing that's interesting about where we're ranked right now, I think Ken Palm has is 81. The NIT winning team was ranked like 75 or 76, I think, after the Big Ten tourney. So this team is, is relative to its peers, as good as that team. And, uh, you know, it's just the strength of schedule was, was, was bad for us. Good for us if we were, if we were winning it on the bubble. But, but very difficult for these kids. Yeah, Eric, this is another thing that I wanted to get you going on because you were a big advocate of players win games, coaches, you know, not so much. So when you hear someone say uh, the teams are making the same mistakes, that's a reflection to Pat. How do you react? Uh, no, I mean, no, you bring up a great point. Like, uh, for me, I, I, I try to entertain these opposite viewpoints where I'll sit here and I'll watch a basketball game. And you just kind of watch the last minutes and you, you just kind of wonder how you can attribute what happens on the floor solely to the coach. Um, you know, I, I've seen plays where um, Pat Chambers has drawn up some incredible out of bounds plays or some incredible sets. And I'm going to bring up, you know, something that you know, one of the uh, everyone's favorite return the rec game Um I, no one remembers in the middle of that entire meltdown of, of that Princeton game, you know, Penn State needed to get, I think they, I don't remember where it was. Either way, though, they had three seconds left and they threw that baseball pass and got Tim Frazier a layup at the hoop. And it was like, it was a brilliant play, but Tim just didn't finish. He didn't make the lap and they lost the game. And, and you know, that's like the way things kind of go sometimes, you know, you coaches can do whatever the heck they want. The players still have to go out and execute, and half the time the you know execution is relying on just just random things. What if there's a wet spot on the floor? What if you just fumble a pass? What if you like you know it's just it's all stuff that like you you assume your players could do. You can practice it a thousand t- times over, but until you're in game situations, you don't really know what's going to happen, and it's just kind of like you know Tim was saying earlier. The, the end of games kind of can be a coin flip if you've played. 60 some possessions and you're, you're at a tie score. Or you're only, it's a one point game. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, well, Tony I just went down. La- Tony went down last night on that wet spot and he saved it. But yeah. That could have been it. Yep. And, and then it was clearly you- there had to be a puddle there. He went down so hard. Yeah. Or, or what do you think? Or Tony Clark choked because he fell down. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, 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 it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand those thought processes at all. It just, it blows my mind. And if you want, there are examples of him looking really good as a coach in late game situations too. I mean, there's there's the uh, the 2014 season, the Ohio State game at Ohio State. Obviously, they they had DJ Newbill um, mm-hmm. get an isolation against Aaron Kraft where he destroyed him. And then the Indiana game that same year with Tim Frazier. I mean, they had Newbill cut towards the basket and take a defender, the help side yep. defender, away from the from the rim. And Tim Frazier got a one on one with Yogi Ferrell. Took him to school. He looked brilliant after that. So you know it goes both ways. Like the the guy's not a, a bumbling idiot out there in in-game coaching situation. Yeah. It's just a matter of can these players pull off every time? The answer is just you know for everybody the answer is no. Not every time. You know these, doesn't these work guys out. have these guys haven't been consistent enough to run up a lead, and that yeah. that that will come you know or or they're going to be in trouble because if you find yourself in these fifty fifty games, bad things can happen. And um, they have not put together, um, you know, uh, have they put together a consistent game? Um, hard to remember. 
Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that's an interesting thing. Now, is that on the coach? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, it comes with inexperience. It comes with, you know, how much can you have these, can you teach these kids, you know, in their first season? Um, I think, you know, just with the year of experience under their belt and I'm sure, you know, they're going to have a, a, a trip this summer to take, you know, they can get extra practices. They'll have more time to hopefully install some more, um, reliable offensive sets, stuff like that, you know, and, and they had, I mean, they had, there's such value in having everybody come back next year. I don't think that can be underestimated just how valuable that's going to be for this team to have a year of the same structure and the same, you know, just continuity like that. You don't get that with a lot of programs. And one thing that I always come back to is that we know, I mean, like compared to the normal human, I like to think that all of us and a lot of the people who follow Penn State basketball know the game pretty well, but Big Ten basketball coaches, they probably forgot more information about the ins and outs of basketball this morning than we have ever known. And I always keep coming back to the fact that Tom Izzo, whenever he gets a chance to compliment Pat, he takes it. In 2000, the 2012-2013 season when Penn State won 10 games, Tom Crean voted Pat the Big Ten Coach of the Year. There are so many examples of these guys who just know more about basketball than all of us. And if you want to take the cynical approach of, oh, they just want the guy they always rag on, they always beat to be there, like, God bless you. Like, do that. Whatever. (laughs) But when you see all these people being constant in their praise of Pat Chambers, I mean, go back to the Michigan State game last year. I... Ryan, please come to my place and beat the hell out of me for this. But how many times was Dan Dockich yammering on about how Pat is building something that has the potential to be really, really good here? Like, Bill, I'm on my way to your place right now. I don't blame you. And we, like, there's just so, there's just so much, there's just so much proof of these people saying that this team is good and it has the potential to be good. And they're a nightmare to play because they have a coach who knows what he's doing and knows what it takes to build a program and just all these things that – And even – Yeah, go ahead. Bill, I, yeah, I don't, I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to step on you, but that's a great point. And, and to take it one step further, like even if all these other coaches weren't saying really nice things about how good of a coach Pat is, look at who gave him like an associate head coaching title. Jay Wright, he, he seems to know what he's doing, right? I mean like the dude is vouched for at this point. His peers – clearly see he's a guy who knows what he's doing he prepares his teams uh he works hard you know he's constantly looking for ways to try to figure it out he just hasn't had the horses yet and i think you know there's so much evidence that that that's clearly what all his really good coaching peers believe and see so yeah i think it's a great point yeah and you know uh oh go ahead the 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 two I think there should be two things that people should have to do before they can comment on on any any Penn State basketball, and I'm going to set this rule up soon. But the first is watch. Uh, Eric found this video, and it's a guy talking about the one in four out offense that Jay Wright runs, and it was fascinating because, like, y- you know, you're watching this thing, and it's like, oh, yep, that's our offense. I've seen that before. And then the guy says, like, in the middle of it, and it's okay to stand around. Um, and, and, uh, standing still in some situation, in some cases is okay. Well, that just goes against 
everything that every amateur basketball um, analyst thinks, right? And the other thing is the reliance on the three. And I, I do, you know, we are still, I think one of the things Pat does is he, he urges those kids to keep shooting, but that's because the offense demands it. And so we see Isaiah out there last night, God bless him, heaving these three-pointers, but that's what's, that's what's required. And so, you know, people are a little upset this year with Peyton and Shep. They seem like they're taking them too fast, what, what have you. But I think that's, that's just what it, the thing's designed to do. And you could go back to Bruce Parkhill running a double and triple screen for Duran Hayes at the foul line. And it's great. You know, you're gonna, it, it won them Tim, some you're games. Gonna, you're, getting, you're getting me choked up, Tim, with these references. Yeah, Come on. I know. The Duran <laughs> Hayes, it brings it all back home. But um, that's the first thing. So everybody should have to watch that video. And and the second thing is is get out of the um, subjective or my my team view and watch Rutgers this year, because Steve Peichel has made a tremendous difference there. It is yep. night and day from the year before, and they're still terrible. And the reason why is if you look at their shooting, their offensive numbers, they're not only at the bottom of the Big Ten. There is a large gap between them and who's ever thirteen. So, uh, so that guy has instilled a completely different, they fight like crazy. It's like watching Penn state in the early chambers years, but they don't have any talent and that guy can clearly coach. So we'll see what happens there. Once he gets up to where he's competitive and starts losing a 50, 50 game, and then they'll be calling for his head, but we lose, I think we lose the, um, perspective. Um, so two things. That's a great point and, and, and great. Uh, comparison, except that it includes Rutgers, but otherwise I love it. <laughs> I've become an aficionado of Rutgers because it, it is like watching us years ago. They they work until the very end, and they can't make any shots. Yeah. I mean, you think we have bad two point shooting, and we you know we do, we do. <laughs> but they but they can't make any shots. It's yeah. it's frightening. They made as far as I know, they made shots one time this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess well, so. and I was there. R- Ryan, yeah. I, I, Ryan, I want yeah. you to take this is the last like devil's advocate thing I'm going to present. I want you to take what reigns on it, and this goes back to a quote that Pat gave uh, somewhat uh, a noted Twitter user John Rothstein uh, before the season when he said, <laughs> "Wait, wait, what's what's the date today?" Uh, this is March. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, he <laughs> Pat said. <laughs> And this is uh, this is verbatim quote. We have to make the NCAA tournament or the NIT this season. We have to play in some sort of postseason for us to really show tangible progress. I mean, when you're going on the record and you're making such a uh, serious statement, if you don't get to the bar that you set for yourself, shouldn't there be some kind of repercussions for him? Yes, he should be fired. Well, there you go. Thank you, everyone, for listening yeah. to this edition of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I didn't read it, and uh, I don't, I don't trust your recollection, Bill. Honestly, I think there's a chance you made that up. Um, but oh, assuming I, you're the, we're at the fake news section of the podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I, John Rothstein well, is the false flag. Continue. <laughs> on one level, like it's entirely accurate to say to show tangible process. We have to do something we haven't done yet, and that would have been making a postseason tournament and, and ideally the NIT at least, uh, and and win a game or two. You know, so yeah, to, to show tangible pros, uh, progress, yes, that's accurate, and so you can certainly very fairly say they haven't shown that uh, this season, barring you know three three more wins in the next week and a half or whatever. Um, 
But again, I think if, you know, and we all, I think, agree on this, right? We're, I think we're mostly talking to uh, 17 uh, message board commenters who will probably never hear this, but um, <laughs> I, I hope they do. Uh, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's, if, you, if you understand how this stuff works, as we've been talking about here, then you understand that they absolutely have shown progress by getting the talent that they've gotten in now with this freshman class in particular, uh, and Josh and Mike, um, and by being competitive with such a young team that has that we knew from again preseason was did not have any proven shooters, uh, and and probably has even less depth than maybe we thought given you know, uh, how one or two of the guys have really provided almost nothing that we thought might provide a little bit. Given all that, the fact that they are where they are and they've been as competitive as they have been and that the young guys seem, by all accounts, to have bought in, uh, you know, if nothing else, then I think that's progress. But it's not tangible, hey, look at the steps forward we've taken. What it means is all of us, despite this frustrating moment we're in right now, I think all of us have some relatively high level of optimism that next year is going to be better. And that if, if, if the natural progression that you expect to see from a bunch of talented freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomores, um, if the natural progression that you expect from those kind of guys comes, uh, then they should be pretty good next year. Now, again, if next year we're having the same conversation about being a gamer 2500 at this point and, and, you know, hoping for a CBI invite, then, then yeah, that's then. I, then I think it's time to say, okay, wait a minute. Then now, what has happened? But I, I don't, I don't think there's any re- reasonable take at this point that that that's the case. Yeah. Which again, I think we all agree on. Yeah, and if I can, if I could just interject for a second, this is like the one argument that I find the most ludicrous because what do you, and I've mentioned this to Eric and Chad earlier. What do you want Pat to say? Do you want him going out there going, listen, there's a chance we're going to suck this year. If we do suck, I would understand if none of you ever want to watch this program again and want me fired. Go cheer for Villanova. Trust me, they just have a lot more success. It it just makes sense for you to go do that. Like, no. Like, no coach is going to do that. Every coach, to some extent, has some expectation of making it to the postseason and wants their fans to think they want to make the postseason too. So when people say – oh, it's crazy that he went out and said we have to make the postseason. Like, my immediate thought is, well, yeah. What else do you want him to say? Like, well, it's, you, it's not so much It's not so much that he said it, that, you know, what he said, it's, it's that he said it. And, you know, you don't see a lot of coaches yeah. coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to, we should make the tournament this year. We should go Sweet 16, whatever. Um, you know, I it's it's a big deal in the sense that, yeah, he, he said this goal, he didn't meet it. Do we have to hold him accountable for it? I don't think it's a big deal. You know, it, it, who really cares? As long as Sandy Barber is not holding into that same standard, then what's the, what's the big deal? I, I mean, listen, by, by that measure, James Franklin has has yet to definitively dominate the state, so he's got to be. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just something that people can hang, a, um, you know, their desire to get him out of there on. Uh, you know, the only thing I think if he did said we got to cut our arrests down from ten to five, and he didn't do that, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but I agree with what what you guys are saying. It's like he, he's setting a high standard. He he probably if he had to do it over again would use a little bit more coach speak on it. But it's it's not a thing. Yeah. Well, I think we also need to take into context who Rothstein's actual audience is. Now he has a, he has a huge following, obviously, 
Um, and we all make fun of him for his obnoxious Twitter personality. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. Come um, time out. What do you mean we make fun of John Rothstein? I yeah, we, but I thought we're all doing this unironically. <laughs> let's let yeah, let's 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 not minimize Bill's actual brand here. Okay? <laughs> listen, man. Listen, man. This podcast is like a Fortune 500 company. It just runs itself. Okay. Oh, well, anyway, John Rothstein. God bless him. Um, but yeah, but he, yeah, he's, um, he's very visible on the Eastern seaboard. Um, I think he's based out of New York city. So he's at, he has a huge Eastern AAU following. And, and I always kind of took that, um, that, uh, that article kind of as, as chambers kind of admitting that side of the argument. Now, um, I think, you know, if you really kind of want to analyze kind of his relationships with AAU coaches, I think the ones that he has the strongest and the longest relationships with understand, why it has taken six years. But I think for him, though, um, for them, I mean, I'm, they're always, I'm sure, always looking to make new connections anywhere that they think they can, they can find players to, to play here. Um, you know, freaking um, – sorry, I'm getting distracted by this Northwestern game. I was just yeah, about it's to good. say, man. I, I want to see this coin flip and see what happens. <laughs> but, um, wait, but wait, yeah, wait, so, wait. So, for, for those of us who are watching something other than the Northwestern game, what do you mean this coin flip? Like, it's 65, 65, oh, I thought, like, and, 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 oh, my God. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Chris Collins is a genius. Give him an extension. <laughs> I, I thought, like, there was actually. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. That Did it go in? Yeah, you guys, I must, oh my, God. Yeah, my game must be faster than you guys. Fire beeline. I, I thought someone, <laughs> like, actually walked out with a coin and was doing they something need, that the coins. So. They need to hire Archie Miller right now. <laughs> Yeah, we never did get talking about that. Just kind of everybody gets him. Yep. All right. Anyway, so we're talking about Rothstein or whatever. John Rothstein (laughs) just tweeted that was March. Oh God. (laughs) I can't. I'm gonna have to mute him this month. But um. But yeah, no. I think the point of that Chambers is just is really speaking to the AAU community because he's not really able to make new relationships with AAU coaches. Will be like Penn State. You've been there for six years. Like you know, what's that about? Because um, you know it, it is abnormal, but for people who have, who have followed the process and kind of seen their struggle, um, I think he was definitely he. Did, I don't think he wanted to give that quote. I think it was just something that you know Rothstein got out of him um, as he addressed the AAU community. So people blow that quote out of proportion all the time. Um, and again, it just goes back to taking like ignoring the context of the of the bigger picture and how pretty much everyone universally thinks this team will be better next year. And by that, I mean other Big Ten observers, um, fans of other um, schools. You know, I just oh god, we didn't make the NIT. Why? I I don't know. I just it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute. Yeah. So I I think uh, we've been going at this for a little over an hour. Um, if anyone is still listening at this point, God bless them. But I think it's, uh, it's getting near time to wrap things up. So Eric, before I do the whole spiel, I want, uh, any final things that you have to say, uh, just if you want, whatever you want to say, like the floor is yours. Oh yeah. You know, the one point I wanted to make, um, you know, and and people are probably going to disagree with this and, you know, I'll, I'll get the chief apologist label with Tim. Um, you know, everyone's talking NCAA bus or bus next year. I, like honestly, for me, that like again, I, I, I think that ignores the context of what else is happening within the program. Um, you know, obviously, it's it's a kind of a pretty crucial year right now. I mean, we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about his contract situation, um, but 
you know, it, it, I'm, I have high hopes for how they finish out this recruiting class this year. Really think they've put in um, a great foundation to have another great class. It's the same kind of deal that they did in their 2015 class and 2016 class where they were recruiting those kids since they were sophomores and juniors. They've been doing that with this coming class with some of the prospects that they're after. So I think they're in, in a great spot. Um, so if they have a great recruiting class, um, you know, and, and, and next year they, you know, instead of being on the NIT bubble, they're on the NCAA bubble, but end up falling short. You know, I, I just, again, if they have better players coming in and Tony and Lamar and Watkins are still there, I, I just, I, why, why risk, what seems to be a pretty good chance that they're going to get better, like by resetting everything and, and starting over. Just, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm, I guess maybe I'm just too patient or, or maybe I have low standards, whatever people want to say. But as far as I'm concerned, this program's getting better. This team next year is going to be really good. The big 10 next year is going to be really good. So, you know what, maybe they don't make the NCAA tournament, but part of the reason why the big 10 is going to be good next year is because teams like Penn state, Minnesota and Northwestern, um, are, are kind of balancing out the, the powers in the conference. So, um, yeah, whatever, I guess that's final spots for me. I don't know. And, uh, to your point about recruiting before we go, I mean, the prudent move for Sandy, if she is going to keep him around for next year, the prudent move would honestly be to give him another contract ex- extension this summer um, just to have that for recruiting purposes because, you know, yep. him being on the hot seat next year, if, if that is the case, uh, that's not going to help him recruit. And then, you know, if they do make the tournament and the 2018 recruiting class is not uh, mm-hmm. up to a similar standard, then that's just really setting the program back a little bit when there's really, you know, it's, you know, they, they can preempt that little lull if they extend Pat this summer. Can, can I say with, with no insight, but like a high level of confidence without actually knowing anything, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, a motto for how I live my life. Um, I'm I'm fully convinced that Pat's going to get that extension, and and that he is not on any sort of, not remotely on any sort of hot seat. I think that Good. all the signs that this administration has given about how they do things, it, it just it would be out of character. Um, and I and I think they know better. Um, I just. I can't see I can't see Pat being at risk, and I think he gets that extension because they understand how the, how things work, and they know they yeah. need to show that confidence. Yeah. Um, I, I think I just I and think I think it was to to piggyback on it. What I think it was Eric was saying a minute ago. How you know this team? If you could have just kept Mike Watkins on the floor for three more minutes a game this season, how yep. many more wins do they maybe have right now? Three or four? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, literally, just just three more minutes a game out of him in the league. That's maybe three or four more wins because how many awful stretches do they have when he was in foul trouble? So, you know, that seeing how close they are, just one or two little things like that. I'm I said, I'm I'm very optimistic for next year. Like you said, the league is going to be better and it's not as if they're you know going to be 10 deep next year, but they're going to be better. And if these guys all put the time in the offseason and there's every reason to think they will um, as many as much experience as they already have, the young guys, based on how much they played this year, I'm, I'm very optimistic for next season. Amen. Me too. They the the fact that Watkins can stay on the floor as long as he does now is just unbelievable. I mean, just all the kids. We should all go back and watch December tape because they've just they've just grown leaps and bounds. Yep. Watkins, Watkins hasn't fallen out of a game yet this year. <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. That is still crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously he's had his foul trouble issues, but that is pretty crazy. 
Hey, if we're if we're rolling down, I want to put the piece on the end that gets cut. Um, uh, <laughs> Eric mentioned at the beginning that Tony Carr's shot's going to go down in history, except for the fact that it didn't win. But you know, Taylor Battle in Tucson, man, that, that was oh. you know, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, obviously, yeah. And I, I don't know if you guys read my my article today on RLR, but I, I made that comparison of. Oh, you did. Yes, I did. so then we can. Cut yeah, I didn't forget about. I didn't. For, I didn't forget about Taylor. But. Okay. Yeah, well, it was, I think really just honestly for me though was just the purity of his stroke, the high arc, and nothing but net. It was like there was no doubt that that shot was going in as soon as he shot it. And Carr at that point was one for five from three. And you know we've been praising him right now for how well he's played in February. Just wait till he gets his three pointer back because right now that's all he's missing. Yeah. Um, and and it's going to be I don't know. I think he's you know we got one of the best point guards in the league. Lamar, you know, one of the best wing scorers in the league. If he if he takes the step next year that we think he will, and Mike Watkins is one of the best big men in the league. It's like uh, that right there. Just I don't know how, how do you how do you not recognize that? I just yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, we really need to, to to praise Tony for the fact that between uh, us comparing him to Taylor Battle and Onward State comparing him to Jason Kidd and Darren Williams today, it's been one hell of a twenty four hours for him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, on that note, uh, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Uh, Tim, Ryan, thank you for taking the time out of your schedules to come here and ramble on about Penn State basketball. Literally anytime. Same. Well, all right. Well, we'll, we'll do this again in about seven hours and see how you're feeling. Uh, well, we, we can talk about the contract extension for an hour or so. <laughs> All right. It uh, hasn't happened yet. Soon. soon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, usual spiel here. Keep reading the site, supporting the site, sharing our stuff. Like us on our social media pages, especially Facebook and Twitter. Buy our shirts. They're very nice shirts, as Ryan can attest because he has a shirt. Correct, Ryan? I have two. You have two shirts. Okay. You should yes, buy some I more. Do. They're very nice shirts. Mm, doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And again, one last time, thank you much, very much for listening. For Tim, for Ryan, for Eric, for Chad, I'm Bill. Take care, y'all.